Thursday edition of Locked on NBA, Lock and Golliver. And joining us is Ben Golliver from the Big Easy. He was there to see the Zion debut, which I joked on our broadcast, actually interrupted the impeachment hearings because it was such a big story. Um, It felt almost overblown, Ben, throughout the day, the way everyone was reacting. It certainly felt that way at halftime. And then all of a sudden, it didn't feel that way. Well, look, color me guilty. I was completely all in obsessed with this game. I've been counting down for, uh, you know, probably more than a week, at least in my own head, about what this would look like. Obviously, we've been waiting for months to see Zion Williamson back on the court. And for the first three quarters, I think you were probably feeling pretty good if you were in the camp of, oh, this is all overdone. What's happening? You know, why are we paying so much attention to a guy who's coming off a knee injury? And is he going to be 100 uh, percent, you know, healthy or even capable of contributing? especially when you see him out there in kind of four-minute shifts and they're you know, u- utilizing a pretty strict minutes limit and basically taking things uh, you know, easy on him. But I do think uh, you know, that fourth quarter run, 17 straight points, uh, I think four three-pointers, a little lob finish uh, in traffic, um, and you know, some pretty monstrous defensive rebounds and a couple of nice passes too. That was the flash that, you know, Zion Williamson fanatics, people who have been following him since his high school days, uh, you know, all the fans he picked up along the way at Duke, that's what they were hoping for. That's what they wanted to see from that number one pick. And uh, it was just a very uh, narratively rich game because you have these incredible lows early. You have these great highs, uh, you know, with Zion Williamson early in the fourth quarter, you know, just kind of doing it all and shredding San Antonio's defense with this three-pointer something that nobody saw coming. He's, he's not known as that three-point shooter. And then at the end, uh, you know, his third act is just him sitting on the sideline uh, a little bit upset because they decide to stick to the minutes limit and not let him close things out down the stretch, and the Pelicans wind up losing. So I think it was some good, some bad, some ugly, everything uh, mixed in, and it all wound up being a very memorable debut. The, the power at the size when you see him in person is what – jumps out at least when I saw him in the preseason what is your lasting takeaway on him is it power and size or is it actually a skill level well I think it's it's a complete package because of his heart and his commitment to winning I think he plays the right way and he really goes hard and he's just a nice kid and I think all of that adds up to just accentuate uh, the physical tools that you're describing when I was watching just you know his individual moves he didn't really show much of what he can do in that game. I mean, he's not a three-point shooter. He's certainly not a guy who you think is going to try to be winning games by you know making defenses pay for for sagging off of him. But you know, he he stepped up and took those three-pointers uh, you know pretty reliably. I, I think what really popped to me both during uh, his pregame workout and then also on the court is his burst from zero to sixty off the dribble is really really good. I mean, he's quick. I think we can say that he's not 100% healthy. He looked like he was dragging the leg at times. Uh, he was gassed, you know, hold it, tugging on his shorts, holding his waist, uh, you know, pretty early in the first quarter and very early in the third quarter as well. So the fact that he can still do some of the athleticism stuff, you know, blowing by guys down the baseline, for example, uh, when we know he's not quite fully back from his uh, knee injury, I think that's a good sign. But, you know, I kind of left this game – wondering, you know, when are we going to see the fully healthy Zion? Will it be this year? Or is it going to be a situation where he just kind of ramps up down the stretch of this season 
and then we see Zion really fully unleashed next season. On a concern meter of 0 to 100, are you at all concerned whether we ever see it? We have had very few players of his weight be able to stay in the NBA. David Griffin will say he's a class of one, but how concerned are you from 0 to 100 uh, that this is actually going to be a career that's forever worried about with injuries? I would probably say like a 60, uh, maybe. I just think that my concern is more about the, the length of his, like, you know, championship window, for example, or his peak of physical performance, rather than can he get there, right? Because even some of the players who, you know, maybe they you know, came apart at times during their career, whether it's Derrick Rose or whether it's Blake Griffin uh, or whether it's Brandon Roy, like, those are guys who we might associate with, uh, you know, being kind of what if players, right? You know, they, they never quite uh, sustained uh, how great they could have been for the number of years that, you know, players like LeBron and Kevin Durant and, and guys who enjoyed better health along the way were able to do. But I think that Zion's going to be able to get to his peak levels. Uh, I think the Pelicans, you know, trying to play the cautious route here early, it's a smart play. Uh, but there's no doubt his body type is different. Um, the weight is going to provide, uh, you know, constant concern. I think, you know, all along the way, every time he jumps, uh, you know, I think part of uh, every NBA basketball fan is going to be thinking, you know, I hope he lands okay. Uh, and, and they've tried to, I guess, give him new tools to lessen the impact on his knees when he's, uh, you know, taking off or, or when he's coming down. So uh, it's something that we're going to have to see how it plays out. But to me, the biggest concern is, is he going to have an eight-year prime, right? Or is he going to have maybe a four- or five-year prime uh, and then, you know, kind of leave us all wanting more because the injuries do catch up? What was the atmosphere like? You were there for the Washington Post. Uh, that's not a particularly good arena in regards to uh, vibe. Uh, in fact, we were there last week for a great game, and it was pretty empty, and the comment, you know, was maybe it won't be in three weeks. Uh, what was the arena like? Well, I was a little bit stunned. I will say this, that he did, they did not sell that game out. If you look on StubHub before the game, there was tickets for as low as $9, and there was hundreds of empty seats and you know, maybe even more than 1,000 of empty seats. They were kind of scattered throughout the uh, 300 level, and it was just coming from a guy who saw a sold-out summer league debut uh, from him in Las Vegas, you know, where the tickets were being scalped for like more than $400. I was absolutely stunned. You know, I think locally here in – New Orleans, they say, well, it's just so much easier to go to the football games because there's only like eight or nine home games a year. And, you know, I understand the NBA has a long schedule, but the Pelicans told everybody when he was coming back like a week in advance. I mean, there's only one game a year that's going to be Zion's career debut. You would think that that would be the game that would have the maximized uh, attendance and response from the fan base. So from that standpoint, uh, I was, you know, very surprised. I mean, if you look back at how Portland – welcome Greg Oden or how Seattle welcomed Kevin Durant or some of these other relationships that have kind of fostered over the years. Um, I would have thought that Zion would have started off, you know, from a completely sold out building, but the fans who were there were very, very into it, especially during the fourth quarter. I mean, it got very loud. There was MVP chance when he hit the uh, free throw line. He seems like genuinely overwhelmed by the response in his post game press conference. I mean, uh, he was upset because they didn't win, of course, but he just broke into this huge, wide smile, the kind of smile you can't fake when he was asked about the, the crowd response uh, and the MVP chance. So I thought that was a nice moment for him, uh, and it was a, a good reflection for a fan base. I think that you know sometimes it does take some, some heat for maybe not being the most invested over the years. Um, I think it's the start of something special, personally. I mean, this is the type of guy where 
he should transcend just basketball, right? I mean, he's got the athletic tools, the charisma, uh, the hype factor, the, the name recognition. I mean, this is a guy who should fill up buildings for years to come. And, and hopefully, you know, Zion fever kind of spreads here a little bit in New Orleans. Fourth quarter, six minutes, 37 seconds played, 17 points, three rebounds, two assists, four of four from three, six of eight from the field. For Zion Williamson, the Spurs do win that game. Uh, We'll build off some of the things that Ben just said about his personality. Also look at that kind of what's a really interesting race for eight. Also, the race at the top of the West has gotten interesting. We had a full docket of games last night. We'll run through some of those as well. Ben Golliver, Washington Post is with us. If you go to Ben's Twitter account, at Ben Golliver, you can grab uh, his... uh, weekly newsletter, which I strongly suggest over at the Washington Post. It's a good one. Uh, great way to be up to date on the NBA. Get all of his great writing uh, taking place there. So go to Ben Golliver at the top of it. His first tweet that's tagged is exactly that. Uh, if you are looking for a little better sleep, a little bit improvement of your mental game. The mental strength is a muscle. The mind is a muscle as well. LeBron James and Calm have combined for exactly that to give you the opportunity to improve your mental game. That's right. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is that muscle in your body and Calm can help you train your brain. So sleep better, have less stress and perform at your best. Calm.com slash locked on NBA. You'll get 40% off a Calm membership for a limited time. You can unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. That's calm.com slash lockdown NBA. I'm doing the learn to meditate as well as the seven days to better focus. I've done the 21 days of focus before and some other ones in the calm programming. So make sure you go grab it at calm.com slash locked on NBA. How badly does the NBA need Zion Williamson? You wrote the piece about the, the ratings drop, uh, Giannis is brilliant, but doesn't seem to have captured the nation. How badly does the NBA need Zion Williamson? Well, I think that he is, uh, you know, a big time, big time asset for the NBA. There's no question, you know, talking to uh, TV executives uh, and even NBA commissioner Adam Silver for the piece I did about the ratings in December. And, you know, I asked him, Hey, was there any regret uh, in, you know, kind of over-scheduling the Pelicans early in the season because of the risk factor for Zion getting, uh, you know, injured and then those games just sort of getting very, very bad ratings in his absence. And they all told me, look, basically we should be fired if we don't schedule Zion. There's so much interest in him as a hype, uh, you know, uh, a hype commodity uh, and a guy people have been tracking with the the mixtapes and the dunks since his high school days that, like, if we didn't have him on at every available opportunity – we would be sort of doing a disservice to our companies. I mean, that's how much he moves the needle. Uh, and I, I think you saw that a little bit. I was mentioning that I hope that, uh, you know, the kind of the, the local fans really buy in and start filling up that building for him. It's such a strange situation because he's like a legit national phenomenon, right? But then he's not yet a local phenomenon. And in New Orleans, they're still riding high after LSU's football national championship. And, of course, that's going to be a Saints town. Uh, you know, in New Orleans. So he's got some pretty stiff competition locally to take the next level. But when we're saying, okay, how important is he as like a basketball figure to the sport? I mean, he's not quite on LeBron's level, but he's up there with a guy like Giannis, a Harden, a Luka Doncic already, just in terms of the interest that he generates. And that could fizzle, you know, if he does uh, have some games down the stretch here where he looks more like the first three quarters rather than the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of the excitement wears off. But for right now, I think it's just absolutely intense interest. 
Uh, I can't tell you how many people were reaching out during the game saying, hey, what's this like? You know, how is it up close? What's he look like? And, and everything else. I mean, I, I really haven't heard, you know, that volume of uh, interest in a specific player. Uh, I would even say it's more than Luca, And I think that luca has got, uh, you know, his, his own legions of fan here, uh, you know, recently as well. So I personally, I think he's a huge deal. And I want to just flip it to you this way. I mean, is it the NBA's dream scenario if they get the 1-8 playoff series and it's LeBron versus Zion as the headline with, you know, Anthony Davis's current team versus Anthony Davis's former team uh, as the subheadline with with Lakers and Pelicans in that 1-8 matchup? I mean, to me, that series would probably save the NBA's ratings by itself. Well, and the junkies in us would love the LeBron <laughs> with the whole Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball against uh, L.A. part of it. I mean, Brandon Ingram's been brilliant this year. Didn't look as good last night, actually. Looked almost like Drew Holiday's return had him uncomfortable without the ball. Uh, who is – what is your most likely scenario for that eighth playoff spot in the West? That, uh, it's actually pretty interesting. It's almost, I think, an argument against the playoff, um, the little play-in thing that the NBA talked about for a while because then you just have a play-in and it doesn't get interesting. Memphis made, has made their little run. We'll see if it lasts. They had a brutal night last night uh, against the Boston Celtics. San Antonio with LaMarcus Aldridge shooting threes is suddenly a way different team than they were earlier over the last 20 games with the seventh-best offense in the le- or, league over the last uh, 15 games are the, now the second best offense in the NBA. You have New Orleans, who's been great, but I actually, as, as super as Zion is, I know he was positive last night. I question whether he's going to help them win at first. Um, we'll see what he is defensively. He was atrocious in the preseason, and we'll see whether he gets it defensively. In the, so what's your feeling on how this all impacts that, that eighth and final playoff spot? You know, I, I share your concern with Zion's sort of impact uh, on this race just because of the consistency factor, too, right? When you're coming off injuries and you're only able to play in these short bursts as he kind of works his way through the minutes limit situation uh, and also just, like, gets his, uh, you know, gets his wind back up, there's going to be good nights and there's going to be bad nights. And that's a team, I think, where, like, if they're trying to build a lot around him and he's going through a tough night, and that should impact things. Um, you know, in the wins and losses column. So it's a tricky a tricky situation for the Pelicans to manage. Uh, you could tell he was frustrated that he had to come out of the game uh, at the end. And Alvin Gentry seemed a little bit frustrated too about, you know, sticking to their uh, minutes limit plan. And, you know, that's something that has repercussions on you know, his teammates, how well they play like a Brandon Ingram uh, and everything else. So I know the computers, like the models, are really, really high on the Pelicans, largely because they have an easy remaining uh, strength of schedule. To me, there's no team that should be favored like 50 to 60% to make the playoffs from the group that you're describing. This just seems like a much flatter race to me. I think the conservative analyst in me says, well, San Antonio has the most proven, uh, you know, centerpiece type guys with Aldridge and DeRozan. They've got the most established coach. They've got the longest track record of winning. And so if everybody else in this group is like Memphis, Phoenix, uh, New Orleans, they're all just a bunch of upstarts. Like, wouldn't it be just kind of like perfectly appropriate that the Spurs are able to kind of climb above those teams, solidify that eighth spot, and basically tell everybody, you know, wait until next year? So I, I think if I had to, to crown a favorite at this point, um, I would show respect to San Antonio's recent strong play and also just their tradition of stability uh, and give them that eighth seed. But, um, you know, I think from an NBA marketing standpoint or an excitement factor, getting either Memphis or uh, New Orleans 
you know, into that first round series would be a, a much bigger win uh, from the league's perspective. I'm with the models that New Orleans looks like the best team and having seen them, but they're five games back in the loss column. They just have to stop. I mean, this sounds stupid, but they actually have to stop losing. Like it, they really, they're, <laughs> they're, they're Mart. We're on the second half of the season. They've played over 41 games. They've actually played 45. I mean, at some point they're going to have to go 30 and 12. Or, you know, well, 28 well, and 12. You know what I mean, though? This is like a seven-horse race. How is any team getting, like, 50 or 60% odds? Like, not a knock to New Orleans. I just don't think there's that strong of a favorite because the pack is just so deep. Right. No, I'm with you on that. Um, it, Dwight Powell uh, officially out with the Achilles tendon injury for the season. He's a name that unless you're a really big basketball junkie, which you probably are if you're listening to Locked on NBA on a Thursday, it, it might not be that familiar with, but he's interesting, right? Their offense is three points better when he's on the floor. Their defense is three points better when he's on the floor. He's actually one of the bigger differential guys in the league. How big a deal is this to Dallas? No, it's a huge deal, and I was down in Dallas for their Friday night game against uh, the Portland Trailblazers, and they closed it out in dramatic fashion. Luka gets all the headlines you know, with the step back three, but I was really impressed with the Dallas beat guys because it would be so easy for them to just get caught up in the Luca Doncic show every night and just ask Carlisle like 15 questions about Luca, you know, and just ride that all season long. And instead they were honing in on some of these, uh, these role players for Dallas. Uh, and it's a, a very interesting kind of eclectic mix of role players down there. And Powell was one of them. And, and Carlisle just sang his praises up and down talking about how he stepped forward in certain moments needing to start, um, how he's just continually improved throughout his career in Dallas, and that's why they rewarded him with new contracts because he just continues to have that positive impact that you're describing. The activity level is high. Uh, the finishing, the bounce stuff has always been high. I think his defensive commitment has been very helpful for them, especially in recent years. He's just kind of a jack-of-all-trades player. So I was coming out of Dallas um, you know, before this injury, with a new appreciation for him. You know, I'm not sure that I had heard personally Carlisle speak at such length about what an important contributor that Powell is. And then just to have a few days later for him to go down devastating fashion. Uh, you know, I don't think it's the type of thing that totally alters their season. And I think that because they spread out uh, the responsibilities uh, through so many people, uh, they'll be able to uh, weather it, you know, better than, you know, maybe some other uh, you know teams would be able to, but certainly it's a big deal. And, I mean, any time these days that you get that injury, I just you know feel sick to my stomach. And frankly, it feels like we're getting a lot of those lately, doesn't it? And a lot of hamstrings. Ron Boone was uh, my broadcast partner who was played you know 1,041 straight games in his career and m- never missed a game and didn't cheat like AC Green to do it. Um, is oh. uh, and, sorry, just you know personal. Um, <laughs> Is is kind of stunned, right? Like there's just you know Josh Richardson last night's another hamstring injury. Uh, so there just seems to be there you know the Achilles is a is a tendon and the hamstring injury. You've got some other things going on, but there does seem to be something going on with the muscle pull aspect of things right now. And and some of this, who knows? I mean, maybe it's just the burden we're asking out of each and every one of these players uh, in the season. He's Ben Golliver. There was there were two games last night that make you just go home. One. For a little bit of a different reason, and then one for exactly what happened on the floor. We'll, we'll dig into 
both of those as we continue uh, with Ben Golliver. When you start hiring process, you have many questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What education experience and how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. That's right. Indeed will give you millions of great candidates who use Indeed every day to find the next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes. Use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants and do it fast. Also, you can add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Locked On's looking for salespeople and doing that right now. Indeed gives you the smart tool to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at Indeed.com slash Locked On and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash Locked On. Terms and conditions, exclusions apply. Valid offer through March 31st of 2020. I don't really care or think it's a big deal that Atlanta beat the Clippers last night when the Clippers don't play Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, or Patrick Beverly, right? Like, that doesn't change the landscape. What does get interesting, Ben, is that Utah and Denver and maybe Dallas and Houston are all winning at such a rate that when the Clippers go and drop one every 10 because either there's a hamstring injury or a rest or now Patrick Beverly's really hurt, the chances of them getting that two seed are sliding. And the way Denver and Utah are winning, it almost feels like they could get to four and suddenly what do they have then? Rockets, Lakers as their path? I mean, there's a real value in each of these conferences to getting to the two seed. One, because the seventh seed's not as good as the sixth, in theory, depending on Dwight Powell injury in Dallas. And two, because you have the two, three home court. What's your thought on the Clippers and just the pressure for them to actually maintain their spot as the second best team in the standings, not just on the court? Or do they not care and not need to care? Well, my first thought is is more big picture, not specific just to the Clippers. But I know the West has taken a little bit of a hit this year because that eight seed is not going to be where it usually is. This has been an awesome season for the Western Conference in terms of the races. I mean, the race for the eight seed to me is really rich and layered. We described that earlier. And the race for the two seed that you're describing is just fascinating. It's like rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to get it? Where the matchups come down? I could easily see it taking until April to decide the seeds in the Western Conference. And I think the matchup game is going to be crucial for a lot of these teams, you know, in that two through six range in terms of who's going to get through and actually make the Western Conference final. So for me, I think that trying to, you know, prognosticate this stuff is, you know, darn near impossible. But it, the, the major reflection is just like this is a very, very uh, intriguing year. And, and we're getting a little bit of that parity factor that we expected at the post-Warriors collapse. Uh, we're getting that to shine through in multiple races for seeds. Now, in terms of the Clippers, Look, they're the tortoise, right, and the tortoise in the hair, and that could come back to bite you, right? There's no question they could get down to the end of the season and think like, man, if we had just rested Kawhi Leonard for one fewer game, if we had just played him against Atlanta for like two and a half quarters, long enough to secure that win and gone home, uh, that could have been the difference between a tough postseason path and maybe their ideal postseason path, right? Uh, but I think that their confidence level is such, uh, especially with Kawhi Leonard, that I think they feel like if they're in the mix, they can close stronger, they can kick stronger down the stretch than anybody else uh, because they have the best player in the world. That's their internal feeling. They've structured everything around him. And I think from 
uh, you know, they're thinking, they're looking back at how Toronto did it and feeling like totally validated, uh, you know, in, in that strategy. But this is not a typical approach. Uh, it's not like something to this magnitude has worked time and again in previous seasons, right? Uh, and the Toronto thing, so many different moments came together just perfectly or brilliantly, whether it's the shot against Philadelphia, you know, whether it's uh, you know the injuries that Golden State suffered uh, during the finals to set up and, and to kind of fully validate you know, their handling of Kawhi Leonard. So uh, I think it's risky. You know, I think you're right to raise questions, you know, whether this will work. Um, at the same time, I think that the concern that has bubbled around the Clippers is a little bit overdone. I mean, Kawhi has been exceptional uh, when he's been, you know, playing his normal minutes and when he's actually been out there fully committed. Uh, there hasn't really been a team that has a great answer for him, uh, especially in the Western Conference. He's won a lot of key head-to-head matchups. And then they've just been stuck without Paul George because of injury. And when he's played, uh, he's looked excellent too. So I think their bigger concern is just stabilizing and keeping everybody healthy at the same time, as opposed to how they're managing the schedule, if that makes sense. The Utah Jazz have won 18 of 20. Uh, They have won 14 of 15, I believe. I can't keep track. Uh, If you look at them since the last 20 games, Their offensive rating is a 119.8. It is five points better than the next best team in the league. Since they added Jordan Clarkson, um, they are, uh, I think, I I don't know. I can't keep track of these things anymore. I believe they're 13-1 and since they added Jordan Clarkson and got rid of Jeff Green. Their offensive rating in that 14-game span is a 122.6. They had the fourth best offensive game of the year last year by any team against the hapless Warriors. How much are you buying this? On paper coming into the season, I was all in buying on their offensive capabilities. I thought the fits were just really, really clean. Now, their lineup combinations have been different than I expected, uh, for sure. They're kind of circling Conley in that mix. Um, But the amount of talent they have offensively and the fit it made sense on paper. Now, I'll also be honest, uh, I lost the faith there for about you know six weeks. I mean, it was like, what is happening? This is not what it was supposed to look like. I understand the, the schedule factors and everything else, but it did feel like a little bit of deja vu from some previous seasons where you know the on-paper version uh, maybe looked better than what we saw in real life. Now, this current version is blowing my mind. I mean, the numbers that you're putting out there are absolutely insane. I mean, just for context, for people who don't follow that stuff closely, I mean, basically – you know, that's the best off- offense of all time, you know, when you're getting up into that 120 or 119 ratings. Uh, so that is not something that even bullish uh, analysts for the Utah Jazz coming into the season ever could have foreseen. Um, you know, it's, it's a great turnaround story. It's a testament to their ability to kind of keep things together. And it's something that I really hope the coaches take note of here during all-star voting. There are so many guys out there with empty stats around the league. You know, and we don't have to – name them all off and shame them. It's not always their problem. Sometimes they're stuck in situations where they just don't have enough talent around them. But if you have a team that's playing this well, if you've got individual guys like Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, who each have strong all-star cases, who have done things the right way, you know, kept their heads together, kept their team on course during some pretty tough times earlier this season, and then just gone out there about their business and, you know, and taking care of it, reward them i mean that's the whole point of the coaches vote right you guys are supposed to be like the industry check on the crazy fan vote or the media vote that doesn't really know what it's talking about so coaches 
I'm calling all of you out. I'm sure every single one of you is listening to this podcast, but do the right thing here and, and reward guys who are contributing to winning and contributing to, to a team playing at a very high level offensively. And of course, you know, as they have for years, playing at a very high level defensively too. Last final one, seven minutes left last night, Toronto 84, Philadelphia 82, final score 107-95, a 23-12 run to close by the Toronto Raptors. Josh Richardson hamstring was out, Joel Embiid was out, so no big deal, or the exact storyline of everything we talked about in regards to the Philadelphia 76ers when the year started is how are they closing games? And here they had one on the road against another Eastern Conference foe, and they got torched late. Well, I'll say this. I was completely wrapped up in the Zion Vortex, so I didn't get a chance to see uh, really any of this game. I have been impressed by Simmons uh, you know, in Embiid's absence, doing a little bit of, you know, I guess in some cases a lot of what he's done uh, a couple years ago when Embiid was out down the stretch before their playoff push where he's just kind of racking up the stats and, and has a pretty good winning percentage. How much are you putting on uh, that late closing effort? Are you putting that on his shoulders uh, or was it somebody else's fault? It actually, um, I actually thought maybe it was Toronto was really good. Um, was kind of, And I was watching it in the press room in um, Oakland before our game. That may be what jumped out to me. Powell got a layup. Late on nice play. Um, Thibel hit a three and they came right back down, you know, made a three point game. Felt like they came right back down and scored. Simmons got a dunk. They came right back down and scored again on a Siakam bucket. Um, then Horford actually missed a few shots in a row. And then um, Van Vliet hit a big three, back to back threes late. And so I actually kind of, there's a little gap in there. The, the, 76ers, if you want to be negative, didn't score for about four minutes and didn't have a field goal for the final 4-10 until a Korkmaz irrelevant three late. So they definitely, you know, had that issue of where are they getting their shots? Who are they getting it from? I also just would, I kind of felt like give Toronto some credit. I thought Toronto was pretty good. I think Toronto might be the second best team in the East. Yeah, when I look at Toronto, I mean, they get so much hype as like, oh, uh, you know, the heart of a champion. They know what they're doing. The carryover effect from last year and I think sometimes that gets overplayed by the media, but in late game situations, they know what they want to do. Right. And they're very well coached. So what makes them so tough is that maybe they're not as well built for the playoffs as they were last year, because they don't have that premier wing. Who's going to do everything. And Siakam's a little bit of a different player. I think he's going to be a really nice playoff player this year, but you know, not to the same level that Kawhi was, but the execution factor and the basketball IQ factor that guys like Lowry, uh, Van Vliet, I would throw him in that category now, uh, and also just Marcus Saul. I mean, those are tough guys to deal with uh, in, in pressure moments, and they're going to be ready and tested, and you're going to have to beat them uh, as opposed to them beating themselves. And so, uh, you know, hearing you describe their, their fourth quarter closeout, I mean, that sounds, you know, right in line with uh, kind of their identity this season, and it does bode well for them in the playoffs. Ben Golliver was at the Zion debut. Go to WashingtonPost.com, read it. Go to Ben Golliver on Twitter and subscribe to his newsletter. It's a great way to be up to date with what's going on in the NBA. He is Ben Golliver. Make sure you catch him on all the various millions of other ways you can grab him. Thanks very much for your time, buddy. Hope you enjoyed New Orleans. Get some rest. I'll try. Thank you very much, and it's great to hear from you, and we'll talk soon. Anthony and Adam will be back with you tomorrow. Rejecting the screen has gone ISO today, so tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast, Rejecting the Screen.